Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. At this time, we're going to be in Revelation 3. It's easy to find. It's the last book in the Bible. It's the last book in the New Testament. So the last time, the message was titled The Corrupt Church. We looked at Thyatira, or the state church. The church, the Christians were tired of being persecuted in the Roman Empire, but they seemed to go from the frying pan into the fire because... When the Roman government accepted Christianity, it came with a lot of strings. It came with paganism. It came with a a mixing of spirituality, and that's never good. So Jesus had some very harsh words to say to this church that became the state church of Rome. The emperors started meddling in with the church and the popes and uh, raising people up and deposing people, and that's not what Jesus set up. This morning... The message is titled, uh, Church, Dead or Alive. We're going to see this in two parts. If you're new to Revelation, it is a learning curve. This is not a five-minute devotional. This is deep. This is cerebral. This is something that we need to pray about because 2,000 years ago, Jesus lays forth a picture of church history for the next two millennia. And easy for us to look back and read the Bible and say, oh, that was brilliant. But remember, Jesus is God. Because who could look into the future 2,000 years, let alone tomorrow, and predict how the church is going to react and act? So the first church we're going to look at is Sardis. Next Sunday, we're going to be in um, Philadelphia. (laughs) Not literally, but the Church of Philadelphia. Okay, it came to me. It's what happens when you get older. It starts to pop back in and out. So... What you need to see as we go through this is the three stages or phases of the churches that Jesus speaks about in Revelation. The first one is the church back then. That's an easy one, right? If you're skeptical about the whole Jesus' deity, that's easy. Jesus is sharing with the churches at the time of Asia Minor what their problems were. And listen, we're human beings. We're sinful. So even when Jesus is instructing the church, he's saying to them, hey, you're going off the rails here. This is not what I started. And remember, this is Jesus' post-resurrected Christ. And so you got the A, the church at the time, which you might find interesting. There's some historical things about Sardis. The second phase or stage is church history. Now this is, over the last 2,000 years, Jesus tells us initially, he tells us initially um, what each stage of the church would look like. From the apostolic age to the different ages to Now that we're in Sardis, we're getting really close to the current. So you might find it interesting. Uh, The third thing, which really is the most important, because the first two are fascinating. The third thing is what the church should look like today. And that's the most important thing. What does the Lord Jesus want for us, want from us? And my friends who are still agnostic and skeptical, I love them. We're still friends. And I will say to them, listen to the message, because... Your criticism of the church was also Jesus's criticism of the church. Think about that for a minute, the church as an organization. So we're going to look at all that, and we're going to look at this in five parts. But what we're going to do is last Sunday and this Sunday, so let me get personal with you. Between last Sunday and this Sunday, we've talked about and will talk about the Roman Catholic Church that started as the state church. 
to the Protestant Reformation and all the denominations in the Protestant Reformation, Jesus had negative things to say about both of those organizations. So in the book of Revelation, in the first few chapters, Jesus will offend about 90% of the Christian world. Think about that for a minute. The cool thing about Jesus is he's not a politician. He doesn't take public opinion polls. He's God. And he says, I started this thing. You guys need to get into line. So if we get offended and it leads to us changing and not being so loyal to our denominations, including Calvary Chapel, but loyal to Jesus, then you know what? It's all for good. And that's what Jesus is his plan is. That's his idea. So we look at this. We'll jump in. There's only six verses. It says, and the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect or mature or acceptable before God. Because we're not perfect. So that word can be translated in different ways. It's not, Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfectly sinless because it's not possible on this side of eternity. But their works were failing, and we're going to talk about that. Three, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, church, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Six verses, but extremely powerful. So one out of five is the dead church. Now we're going to, I'm going to go through some history, and then I'm going to talk about how we can apply this today. So bear with me. Some of you love the history, and it also gives you a foundation when you're expressing why you believe what you believe to your unsafe friends. It's important to know this. So, back then, there was uh, apathy in Sardis, in Asia Minor, comfort and lack of evangelism. When we look at the church age, this fits into 1517 AD, or the Protestant Reformation, to the Great Tribulation if there's no repentance. So that's the church age. Most important thing for us to understand is to live our faith in a manner that Christ prescribed, and that would be attractive to the world, to the unsaved world. So verse 1, the church age, where the Roman Catholic Church started with the state's backing and became powerful and uh, you know, massive and something that Jesus didn't envision, power-hungry, the Protestant Church rested on their past laurels and fell asleep and died. So it's kind of weird. So the one church was overzealous and the other church was underzealous. And Christ is saying, you're both missing the mark. You're both falling into these extremes. And of course, these churches have changed over the years. Some of them have gotten better, certain districts and parishes and said, yeah, no, we reject some of those things of the past. And that's a good thing. So they learned from what Jesus says. He says to Sardis, you have a name that you were alive, but you are dead. Now, there's two words in the Greek that I'm familiar with for dead. One is nekros and one is thanatos. Nekros literally means like a body that's died. It's a corpse. Where we get the word in medicine, necrotic tissue, tissue that's dying. So Jesus says, you're dead, you're nekros. What is he saying? He's saying that 
if a church is supposed to win people to Christ and be a light in the community, that if you compared Sardis to a body, Sardis was a corpse. The Christians were apathetic. They were too comfortable. Church was a social club. You know, to the unspiritual eye, we can look at a church, and it's very interesting in the United States, all these, you know, scintillating, exciting ministries in this area kind of with this whole stay-at-home order and stuff, is, it's really subsided. It's been attenuated. This thing has disrupted everything, including the church organization. But if you look at even the TV uh, ministries, they could have thousands of people, but Jesus could still say, you know what, you're dead. You're dead. You're not being changed by the word. You're not affecting anyone for Christ. You're just all looking for that one charismatic preacher to excite you for the morning. But you're dead because you're not doing church the way I want you. And it's really not hard. We're going to get to that part. It's really what the Lord asked us to do, we can do. He wouldn't ask us to do something we couldn't do. You can even look at a church that are, you know, social justice warriors, which is fine, justice. But if there's no Jesus and there's no uh, light, then that's also a waste of time. It's, It's a club. It's a political club, a social club. So understand what he's saying in all this. Actually, no Jesus, no justice. Once we understand truly who Jesus is, we understand true justice, right? The Sardis church was a model of inoffensive. We don't want to offend anybody. There's a lot of churches out there like that. You know, it's hard to fill the pews and fill the coffers if if people are getting offended by your sermons. But that's part of what a, a sermon is for conviction. This church was inoffensive and ineffective as a result of it, right? Maybe doing works, but not winning anyone to a relationship with Jesus. Evangelism and apologetics are not prioritized. People don't even know why they're Christians. Like if somebody asked me, why do you believe what you believe? I don't care if they're a a doctor in physics. I could still hold my own on why I believe what I believe. and, 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 And I've done this before. People far more educated than me. It's not about education. It's about knowing why you believe what you believe. What's the foundation? Now, when we look at the church age, okay, remember, church at the time, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, the church age, which is a a time period of each successive church, and what type of church do we want to be? I'm going to focus on a little bit of two, but mostly on three. But let me just go back to the history. This is a term that I didn't come up with. It's actually a, a... I guess you could say it's a pejorative, but I'll say it because I've heard it from Bible scholars. They say that the church of Sardis is dead Protestantism. Now, some Protestantism is alive, but a lot of it has died, and I'll I'll make my case for that. Um, There's a lot of churches that today, uh, there's one by my house. It's a monument. That's it. There's a monument. Even before the stay-home order, nobody went to these churches. What happened? What happened to a church that had 250 people? That's how we got this building. What happened? We're going to talk about it. How did we end up getting this building? How does a church die? And again, it's going to sound offensive to some people. Trust me, by the end of today's sermon, a lot of people are going to be offended. But try to look at what Jesus is saying here, right? My wife and I go to a restaurant in Pennsylvania. Well, not now, but we used to. And it was, it's, this, it's actually New Hope. You might know it. Gorgeous church. You walk up to it, it's stunning. The brickwork, the masonry, the stonework, the, the temple, uh, the, the, st- the steeple. You go inside and, and it's absolutely a gorgeous church. But it died. And they sold it to a restaurant. 
So we go to eat there. And I marvel every time I go up to this church and look at the beauty and the ornateness of who, who spent, how many weeks and months and years did they spend putting all the stonework to make this gorgeous church? But it was dead. It died. It sold itself to a business. How does that happen? This is what Jesus is referring to. This is fire. <laughs> you know, um, I'll just say in England, do, listen, all this stuff can be verified that I'm saying. I don't want to go through a million sources. I'll be here up here for hours. But in England, it's worse. In Europe, it's worse. And there's pictures, and I've seen them, of churches that dozens of them, hundreds of them, they're dead. And they sold to uh, Islamic organizations and become mosques. They cut the cross off. They put Arabic writing on it. And you just see the old monument, but now it's a mosque. Now, listen, I'm not saying anything bad about the Muslims because they're excited about what they believe. But where are the Christians in Europe? Why are all these churches dead? Why have all these people left and sold to a bank or a restaurant or a, a mosque? Again, I'm not saying anything bad about the people buying them. I'm talking about where are the people that used to worship here? So Jesus is, is very serious about this. I'm serious. I'm jazzed about this message. Because how did he know this stuff if he wasn't God? How did he prophesy this stuff thousands of years in advance? All right. So we continue. How does a church die? Well, one way is they don't reach the next generation. They don't reach out to the youth. People my age who are doing much of the work, we get older, we eventually pass away, and there's nobody to come up from the rear. Don't reach out to the next generation. Two, factions and splits. I see this all the time. And this could go on for decades. Don't these people learn that their church is dying because of this egotistical, well, I'm right, and, you know, it, these factions fight with each other inside of the church. Some of them are on life support. They become an elite club, snobbish. Somebody new walks in, they kind of look at you funny. Well, you're not part of our, what, clique? Is that what a church is supposed to be? Or, this is a good one, there's no life in the church because there's no God's word in the sermon. Think about this. They've substituted the purpose-driven church and your best life now for God's word, hoping to bring rel relevance, but it only con it continues to the church's death. Books by men? Read the Word of God. Do a study in the Scripture. That's the easy way out, taking somebody's book and doing that on Sunday morning. Jesus has a description of himself. He, he has and he is the life of the church. The church organization is not the life of the church. Jesus Christ is. Is. This is a good time to ask ourselves, am I dead as a Christian? Well, no, I'm, my heart's beating. I can breathe. But am I dead spiritually? What would Jesus say if we had a conversation? What, would he, what kind of marks would he give me as he's giving this church organization? What would he say? It's a good time now that entertainment's gone, sports is gone. So many things are gone. Things that I enjoy too. I'm just, you know, my wife and I would love to go out to the diner and just have breakfast or lunch and talk. And you can't do those things anymore. Um, people are at home all the time staring at four walls and staring at each other. What type of Christian am I? What type of character have I built over the years as a Christian? When things are getting tough all around me, where am I at? Where's my heart? Where's my faith? Because it can be super solid if you want it to be. You just got to get closer to Jesus. And I tell you, there's more time to pray now because there's less free time. More time to get closer to the Lord. 
You know, Sardis was apathetic. It was too comfortable. So was the United States before COVID. Where are we now? We're still us, right? Do we still have that light that, that flickers, that burns, that, that is attractive to other people? We talked a lot about this at the men's group on Saturday. Verse 2, Jesus says to this church, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. So two, caution and a caveat. It's not fully gone, Sardis. You're on life support, but you need to revive it. You need to resuscitate it. That's what I love about the Lord. He's so kind to us. Even when we're doing the wrong thing, he wants us to do better. He wants us to come back into the fold. You know, the city of Sardis, if you, if you do a little study of Sardis, two times that I, I can think of in their history, they had a, a, a barracks and they had soldiers and they had towers. And their job was to be on the outposts watching for anybody who would try to attack. Two times in Sardis's history, the guards fell asleep, I don't know, playing cards. I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't spiritually, they weren't watchful. And they were attacked. And the ones who were supposed to be watching the city were not watching the city. Spiritual watchfulness versus spiritual comatose. So you can see an example in Sardis, which was a physical, temporal reality. But we can be like that too. We should be watching. We should be guarding ourselves. We should be looking out, right, for others. We should be looking out for those who are weaker in the faith. We should be looking out for those in the community. How can I help somebody? But are we spiritual comatose when we should be watchful? Good stuff to look at. There's churches today who are on life support or comatose. And I wonder, did they ever read Revelation? They're on life support because they want to be. They haven't changed because they don't want to change. They don't want to humble themselves and work together. Refusal to obey the Lord. He says, strengthen the things which remain, which are ready to die. So Jesus, how could they be dead but not be dead? I've had enough people challenge my faith and challenge the scripture that I could just ask the questions from the polemics that they do. How could it be dead but not be dead? Well, I think about this when I was on patrol as a police officer and I was on patrol my whole career. And I can't tell you the amount of times I did CPR. You know, then we got the defibrillators and we used that. I can't tell you how many times I did the chest compressions and the, and the breaths. And literally, 911, you come there, the person is is dead. If nothing happens, that's it, right? Cell death and all the things that medically happen to the person. But there are occasions where we got there soon enough and we were able to pump their chest and breathe. And, you know, the the medics would come and, and they would literally come back to life. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? That God gave us that ability and that knowledge. So this church was no different. It was, it, it was, it had fallen to the ground. It was flatlining. But Jesus is encouraging them, you can change this. You can change this. You could breathe life into the situation. Did they want to do it? Right? We also know that Jesus has the power to resurrect the dead. Lazarus was dead for four days. And Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, come forth. He was able to resurrect Lazarus, but he also asked Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus had to obey his words. Everything that God does is a relationship, even a resurrection. 
So this is a resurrection of a church or any church. Jesus wants to resurrect dead churches, but more important than that, folks, we could hide behind our organization of the church. Sometimes in numbers, we can become obscure. But God knows everything. He sees everything. He can minister to us and, and love us on an individual basis. So yes, he wants to resurrect dead church organizations. But more importantly, he wants to resurrect dead witnesses from apathetic Christians. That's why only six verses is the only one I'm doing for this morning because this one is so powerful. I can see the passion in what Jesus is saying. I, I love that passion. He says, I have not found your works perfect before God. Some works are good, and we've covered this in the other churches. Works don't save us. And works are uh, tested by our heart motives as well by the Lord. Some people do works because somebody else is watching. That's a dead work. You know what I'm saying? So their works were dead works. And their works of not being the the city on the hill or the light to the nations, um, the light of Jesus, don't bring people any closer to God. And works can become very dead. They could be very rote. Well, it's just what we do. You know, I, I remember, it's kind of funny, it wouldn't be the first time, uh, I was criticized by a family that left the church, and they loved the preaching, they loved the applications, but their criticism was that I used Jesus too much. That's a typical Sardis attitude. How do you use Jesus too much? He's the, the, <laughs> hi, he's the, the, the beginning and the end, right? He's the, he, he started our, our faith and he'll finish our faith. He'll bring us across the finish line. How do you use Jesus too much? Isn't that sad? Remember, let me just say this again. You take Jesus out of a church, immediately it becomes a social club. It's not a church anymore. Jesus has to be that center force, that, that driving force. So, Jesus healed, he fed, he resurrected. And some would argue, well, that's the most important, the the social things that he did. No, Jesus told us the most important thing. He says, for this this reason I've come into the world, to die for the sins of the world. Right? When Peter protested, he didn't want to see, he loved Jesus so much. And in in an emotional, I think, um, speak kindly for him, he said, you shall not go to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. Wow. Peter Peter must have been struck like a deer in headlights. But Jesus was saying that the most important thing I'm here for is to die for the sins of the world. And that's what a church has to understand. You know, if Jesus is left out of it, it becomes a corpse spiritually. Pretty um, harsh terms, but certainly gets your attention. Verse 3, he says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So three out of five is marching orders and a warning and a warning. Now, I always say this, warning is love. You know, if you have a child that's going closer to something that might hurt them, you warn them. Sometimes you can be loud about it and forceful. It's because you don't want them to hurt themselves. Warning. He says, remember how you received and heard. Go back to the days of purity. Go back to the days of, and speaking to the church as an organization, of, of that honeymoon period, that excitement. What happened? You know, people get jaded by life, but some get jaded by the Christian culture. And I say that this is a horrible situation that we're dealing with, but I also see how God can do good things. 
you know, in the Christian culture, and I've seen some of these ministries on TV, they're just as plastic as the world is. It's all about appearances. It's all about how they make you feel. And where is that right now? Are we going to just mostly go on our feelings? If so, we're going to have a really rough walk as Christians. We have to go on our faith. We have to start switching gears because it's not about that. It's not about that. So similar to Ephesus, he, he tells them to repent, to change. He says, I will come as a thief and you will not know what hour I come. And it reminds me of Matthew 24. And Jesus warns the world that there will be two types of people in the world. Those that are watching for the Lord's return. And as Elder Bill said on Wednesday night, he preached his favorite parable, the parable of the faithful steward. Some will be doing what Jesus wants them to do. So it's not like, like Bill said, they're not watching and staring up at the sky. Their heart is watching. They have a spiritual watchful attitude. And therefore, they are doing the Lord's will before he comes. And others are just doing whatever, doing whatever pleases themselves. And they have a name, but they're dead. They have a, a card in their pocket somewhere that say they belong to a denomination. Folks, when you die and you go before the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't care what the, he doesn't care if you're part of a Calvary chapel. He wants to know that your heart was for him, that you had a relationship for him. That's the most important thing. We don't get into heaven as a group. You stand by yourself as you, as you come up to the pearly gates, so to speak. Uh, and the only one who can get you in is Jesus Christ, not Peter, not John, not Mary, Jesus. And Jesus has to say, uh-uh, he's with me or she's with me. That's where you get your entrance into heaven. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus and you're watching this morning, you could do it right in your living room with your pajamas and your pancakes and your bed, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. You could be lying down. You could be kneeling just call out to the living God. Tell him that you want, that you do believe in his sacrifice for your sins. And you do want to be a believer and a follower. Okay, verse 4 and 5, he says, here's the good news. You have a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments. And we'll talk about that. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. A lot of the stuff about heaven and, you know, the gates and what heaven looks like, as we go through Revelation, this is an incredible book, not to be rushed. When we start getting into it, you're going to be blown away by words in black and white, but that still doesn't do it justice. However, this is for a reward for the faithful. As I said before, Thyatira was not a monolith, which is good. Sardis was not a monolith. In both of those, in every church organization, you have your bad, but you also have your good. And Jesus is speaking to those, to the good people. He's saying, hold on, don't start acting like them. Don't do that stuff. But to the bad, he's saying, repent. I want you in my kingdom too, but you've got to change your ways. You know, you've got to, you don't have a relationship with me. I never knew you. So what's fascinating is we see this. He says two different things to the churches, to the, and you find this theme throughout it. To those who are doing right, to the faithful steward, to those of us who are, you know, folks, it's, it doesn't mean when we live our faith, we have to go out and, and go to soup kitchens and it, I don't know where we get that idea from. God could put somebody in your life. I don't know. You could 
maybe have a discussion with them on social media that they're, they're desperate, they're scared, they're frightened, and you're having this discussion with them. That's big. That's huge. You know, I, don't, I never say that. Well, do big things. Just do what the Lord has called you to do in your little sphere of influence. You know, I'm the pastor of this church, but collectively you all could do far more good works than I can do. That's an awesome thing. You can reach different people, different groups, different organizations that I can't reach. But he's saying for those who are faithful, 1 Thessalonians 4, when he comes for his saints to pull us out, but you think this is, this is bad, where will you see the judgments in Revelation? He's going to take us out before then. I mean, he's going to, in a good way, he's going to remove us from this place before it all starts to deteriorate. So to the faithful and good, be blessed with the closeness of Jesus Christ. Let's look at these symbols. He says to be clothed in white. I wore my um, lavender shirt this morning. Uh, to walk with Jesus in white and for those who haven't defiled their, their garments. Now, understand when he's speaking about white, he's not speaking about your white t-shirt or your white shoes. It's not a color, but more of a purity. Now, when we looked at the transfiguration of Jesus and the disciples are blown away because Jesus' deity now starts to shine through his skin. It can't be contained. His clothes start to look, you know, the, the gospel writers are writing down what they saw. And it looked like, oh, I got, and they literally said it looked like clothes that were bleached, but no one's ever bleached before. No one's ever seen clothes this white. So it's, white is not a color. It's a, it's a dimension, right? So when we're in our white garments, it's not because we didn't get uh, tomato sauce because we were having lasagna the night before on it. And we have to bleach it. It's that, those white garments represent purity and the purity that comes from being in Christ. Understand that? When we are in Christ, we are given those white garments. Not now. So, Jesus provides that purity because he removed the stain of sin. Some in, in Sardis, they had defiled their garments. They weren't in Christ. They still had the st stain of their sin. They had the stain of the world. Jesus is making the dichotomy here. And the stain of sin and the stain of the world separates us from the living God. They had soiled their testimony of Christ. They were walking in their own strength. They had no need for Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? So it's not a wardrobe that he gives us. It's, it's, I, think, I believe it's a dimension that when we die and we're in Christ, we get those white garments that were probably like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Not itchy. You don't have to wash them. You know, don't have to bleach them. They're pretty awesome. He speaks about that their names, those, the faithful ones, their names would not be blotted out by the book of, or blotted out of the book of life. We're going to talk about this more in Revelation 12. We're going to start to see some of these themes, you know, be really exemplar, broadened and expanded. This is what I believe about the book of life, because people get confused. They're like, wait a minute, my name is in the book of life, um, but I don't want my name blotted out of the book of life. It's confusing. In some places, he says your, your the names are in there, but then the names can be removed. This is what I believe the book of life is. It's, again, it's not a, a book like we have in the pews. It's God's book. It says that he opens the books. What is in those books? Imagine the things of God. And I believe that when every person is born, that they're in there. And when they die... If they're never born again of the Spirit, their name is blotted out. That's sad. How many times have you 
or, or I been somewhere where they had to call a roster. And it was very important that your name was on that list. You were going to get a tangible benefit, something that could save your life. And you ever do that? Or even you're going on a plane and the, I don't know who these people are. They're at the, the desk and I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, I don't see your name, but I got to be on that flight. You don't get it. I don't see your name on there. The most important place that you want your name and not to be blotted out is God's book of life. And this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're faithful, let me just go back. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you choose to follow him, and you have a relationship with him, it can be rocky sometimes, it'll be on our part, not his, that when you die, your name is in that book. You ever have your name read and you go... People are waiting for their stimulus checks. They check their bank account. Oh, I finally got the stimulus check, right? But how happy are you going to be? And am I going to be when we die and our name is in that book of life? So it's my job. My job is to take things in the world, and I learned from Jesus, and to make a spiritual application. Powerful stuff. We're going to get to that. How sad will it be for those who stand before God and put everything else in front of God and argued with believers and, you know, thought they were so smug about their education. And, oh, you, you worship a fairy tale. And then they get there and they die and they close their eyes and they're not dead. Because when you're in the next life, you're not dead. You don't cease to, you don't flatline. You're alive for eternity, but where are you? So I don't say this funny. I don't say it lightly. I'm saying that everybody who's listening to me, I want everyone and God, even more so, that your name is in that book of life. Get it in there and get him to call your name when you're dead and spend the rest of eternity with him. He says, I will confess their names before the Father and the heavenly angels. We see that in Matthew 10.32. Again, as a, as a police officer, and some of you have been in the military, you've had your credentials. I've had access to sites. Actually, I, was, um, I worked for two different police departments. Ironically, I look back at my 25-year career, and I did a presidential detail for two presidents. And I went there. I had my uniform. I had my ID. And I got, in, I got past the Secret Service. The mil- I got into places that the general public was roped off. It's kind of a cool feeling. Your credentials that you've earned get you into this venue. But the most important venue to get into is God's kingdom. Amen? So that's the access that we want to have. And, and you stand alone, not with the church group, not with your pastor, not with your defense attorney. When you stand before God, the only one who can be standing next to you is Jesus Christ as your advocate, the Bible says. Oh, Father, he's trusted in me. I, you know I paid for those sins, right, 2,000 years ago. Of course, God the Father knows. But Jesus is your advocate. And Jesus, in, in essence, says, he's with me or she's with me. Good stuff, right? Five out of five is the conclusion. Now, we need to look at this as an important lesson on what to be but what not to be. If we were to ask Jesus right now and he was to answer us, would he say that we were alive or we were dead in our faith? Well, actual Sardis, at the time Jesus was speaking, sadly, they were apathetic. They were comfortable. They had gotten into the Roman Empire, and they didn't offend anybody. They didn't offend anybody with their preaching. They, didn't, they, they compromised, and 
Jesus really wasn't happy with that because they were, they were ineffective. They were leading nobody to Christ, which means that they would, those people would die in their sins. The church's role is to lead people to Christ. Let's look at the church age. Again, if we look at this church age, Catholicism had its problems, still does. Um, Protestantism, Protestantism had its problems, still does. People in Calvary Chapel, some of Calvary Chapels have their problems, still does. But we're supposed to look at this and make this a model for our church. You know, I've heard people say, and again, wonderful people have come out of all these movements. That's why I say it's not a monolith. That's the beauty. Some it's the leadership that's causing a problem. Some are not the leadership, but the people causing divisions and factions. Depends on church to church. But I've heard some say, and when we talk about Sardis, I won't mention the name, but literally, uh, we, think, we think we're at the diner. He's a minister, and he said, oh, the glory days of the past. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking to myself, are you dead? <laughs> Hold on, let me take, check your pulse. The glory days of the past. You're acting like... You're in heaven and you're looking back at something that happened 40 years ago. I don't care how old you are. You're still a Christian. You can still do amazing things. Have we denied the power of the Holy Spirit? No matter what stage of life we're in, have we? That's what, it's Jesus who gives life. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us. The glory days of the past. What he said fits right into this church age and this church attitude. Now, let me leave you with the most important one. The church type. What type of church do we want our local fellowship to be? We don't want the bad that Jesus speaks about, and we want the good. So let me make this more personable. Personable, personal. What type of Christian do we want to be? Do we want to be a Sardis Christian? Do we want to just be a cultural Christian? And I see this. People become Christians and, oh, they, they listen to all the Christian groups and, and they go to all the Christian venues and they go to all the big events that different churches have. And they think that they're Christians because they're in the, you're just changing cultures. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just a cultural Christian and, and you don't know the Lord. The Lord doesn't know you. If we stood before the Lord Jesus, what type of life as a Christian have we led? And please, let me just say this very importantly before my last point is that it isn't about doing super works. It isn't about having a a name. It isn't about people noticing you. It isn't about a lot of things. But if you ask the Lord to come into your life and you ask him to empower you, you're going to have, you're going to backslide. You're going to sin. You're going to need to repent. I do, right? But it's, it's just like any, when you look at even relationships in the world, don't we have our good and bad? See, the difference with Jesus is he never does anything wrong. So if it's bad, it's on our end, not his. So let me encourage you with this. Here's the remedy. Jesus says, strengthen the things that are ready to die. Hope. He says, repent. Turn, change, mercy. He says to turn back to God, security. And all those things equal love. Which path do we choose to follow? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, 
in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.